Well, this may be the last time I'm going to say this for a long time, but I'm going to do it. Merry Christmas. It's so good to see everyone here. It's, uh, you know, we, we know that with our church, there's a lot of people who travel. But we also know that there are many people who come and spend time with family here. And so if you are one of those who have been fortunate enough to welcome family, we're so happy for you. Uh, I'm just interested, if, you've got, if you're a member here and you've got family visiting with you, could you raise your hand just to let us know? Yeah, see, there's a lot of family here. We want to say welcome, and we're glad that you're here. We also want to recognize that this time of year is also difficult for some as you remember someone who is not here. And we pray that God will bless you with peace and comfort that only our God of all comfort can provide during this time of year. As Monty mentioned a little bit earlier, this is the final lesson in our series in December, Joy to the World. And as he said, we are been, we've been focusing on this very powerful passage of Scripture, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And so I hope that if you've got a Bible, you'll go ahead and open it up or power it up because we're going to be going through this. And uh, we would love for God to be able to bless us in our study of God's Word this morning. So Paul is in house arrest in prison in Rome. And he, he hears that in the church that he planted, this church in the city of Philippi, there's quarreling, there's dissension, there's some infighting that's going on. And so he wants to write to them. And he wants to let them know the, the importance of unity. And so he writes to them um, in and he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And if we read on in this passage, you can see that Paul realizes that you can't have true unity without humility. And so he continues on. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's a powerful uh, challenge that Paul gives the church there and probably in their minds as this is being read the question is how how is this going to take place and he says what I feel like is the key verse in this section verse 5 he says in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus and he uses this then as a springboard into this beautiful poem. This poem that perhaps has been put to music. It's perhaps a, a song that's sung regularly in, in gatherings and homes throughout that uh, city and other cities as well. It's a song about Jesus Christ and the humility that we see in Jesus Christ and lower himself from the highest of high to the lowest of lows. 
Then last week, Monty was able to guide us through this, this understanding that in order to have unity, we've also got to be uh, those who serve each other, that we've got to look to the interests of others and put their needs above our own. And, and really, all of this is only possible when the Holy Spirit empowers us with this supernatural ability to love. It, it, it helps us to live with humility. We look for opportunities to serve others. And this, then, is how we become unified. And this is how we can truly show the world what joy really looks like. But the evil one likes to whisper in our ears. The evil one wants us to think that if we don't promote ourselves, that if we don't lift ourselves up, if we don't take care of our own needs, then we're going to be left out. That no one will notice us. That we, ha we will have no influence. That we'll be pushed down by those who love control. We'll be taken advantage of by those who seek power and put themselves in the forefront. Those who use authority and live with entitlement. And so we must... The evil one says, the evil one whispers in our ears, it says, you've got to use power. You've got to use domination, control, self-promotion like the world does in order to survive in this world. Paul continues the song. It's almost as if Paul says, but no, Jesus didn't climb to positions of power. Rather, he poured himself out. He emptied himself. And in humility, he took the lowest position possible. And look what happened to Jesus. Look at the end of the story in Jesus's life. And that's where we are in our text today, verses 9 through 11. Because this poem concludes with a vision of reality that our eyes cannot yet fully see. So let's go through this passage very quickly because here we see the exaltation of Jesus. This passage of Scripture is layered with countless layers of depth and meaning. And these verses are intended for us to study, to wrestle with, to meditate on, but more importantly, to live out. These verses speak the truth of the one who humbled himself before God and God exalted him to a place that was higher than ever before. Well, right off the bat, God exalts Jesus. We see that it's God who does the exalting. Over and over in the scripture we read that we need to humble ourselves in order for God to exalt us. And this is counterintuitive. This is upside down thinking. This is so different from the way the world thinks. But we see that this is not just in the example of Jesus that we see in this poem, but it's also in the teaching of Jesus. Matthew records Jesus as saying these words. For those who exalt 
themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Luke records it this way. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Other writers in the scriptures say the same thing. James says these words, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The apostle Peter says, Humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. He may lift you up in God's timing. So, according to God's word, we have this choice before us. We can work really, really hard to exalt ourselves, and then in the end we will be humbled by God, or we can follow the teaching and the example of Jesus and humble ourselves knowing that God will exalt us. You see, this is the attitude of Christ Jesus. This is the mind of Christ that Paul talks about. And so God highly exalted Jesus. But then also we see that God gave him the name above every name. Now, for us in our culture, this may not seem all that wonderful. We don't value or see the depth of a name like they did in the Hebrew culture. There's a, there's a saying in the Jewish culture, like his name, so is he. And it was understood that the name a child was given had significant influence on the development of that child's behavior. And the name that God gives Jesus is the name that's above every other name. We read further that at this name all will bow before this exalted one. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, even under the earth. Even the, the armies of darkness and evil will bow before the name that's been exalted by God. We see that all will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is, Jesus is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Some, some translations might use the word confess. Confess that Jesus is Lord. The word confess used in the biblical context here is basically to agree with. And so when you confess, you basically agree with God. When you confess your sins, you agree with God that this is sin and that you are a sinner. And so every tongue will acknowledge or confess that Christ Jesus is Lord. And the, Lord, the word Lord, you could do a wonderful Bible uh, word study on the word Lord. In Greek, it's kurios. 
In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, which was used by Christians in that day, every time they came to the word Jehovah or Yahweh, when they translated into Greek, they used the word Kyrios. And think about this. Philippi was a Roman colony. And in that Roman colony, the emperor Nero was proclaimed to be the Curios. Think what Paul's doing right here in this song. It's so important that Paul says that every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Curios or Lord. One writer says, this fact suggests that Paul is deliberately and subversively giving titles and claims to Jesus, which most of his audience would assume belonged only to Caesar. You see, Jesus Christ is God, and eventually everyone, everyone is going to confess or acknowledge this reality. And then he concludes, he concludes this this section of scripture by saying to the glory of God the Father. We have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit, and it's difficult, and I might even add the word or change the word to impossible for us to fully comprehend the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But what we can take from this passage right here that to bow and to acknowledge Jesus as Lord actually brings glory to the Father. You see, in the Godhead, we see that there is no competition. There is no strife. There is no envy. This, the final words of this beautiful poem, this is unity in the church. This is the church that God wants us to model to the word, to the world. And so Paul says that by the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we need to humble ourselves to where we, we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility we value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but each of us to the interests of others. And this is what we see and we celebrate in the story of Christmas every year. We've titled our series, Joy to the World. And some of you have been curious as to why we titled it Joy to the World. Well, first of all, our text comes from the book of Philippians, and the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. Paul uses joy or rejoice 15 times. And Paul teaches that because of Jesus, we can truly have this joy. This joy, this joy in our hearts that's not available to those who don't know Jesus. This joy is what we live and we show to the world. But also... Joy to the world is one of the most popular Christmas carols we sing each year. It's one of our favorites. 
Today is December 26th. We celebrated Christmas yesterday. Do we put this song on a shelf? Do we put this song aside for the next 300 or so days before we start singing it again next fall? Well, I did some research on this song, Joy to the World, and I learned some things that, that surprised me. Maybe they'll surprise you as well. This song was written by Isaac Watts. <clears throat> Isaac Watts was born in 1674. He was born in Southampton, England. Isaac Watts was a gifted poet, and he wanted to use his gift of poetry to bless the church. Well, up until the time of Watts, most of the songs that were sung there in England were literal word-for-word duplications of the, of the psalms. And it was difficult to sing those in English. And so Watts decided to do a little bit of creativity in putting together the words of his songs. He, he used the doctrinal meaning of the songs, but he put them in common, ordinary poetry, which, to be honest, in his day was not very well received. They didn't, people didn't like change. Well, one historian says, his songs put the old wine of faith into the new wineskins of English rhyme and poetry. You may recognize the the title of some of Isaac Watts' over 750 hymns. When I survey the wondrous cross, oh, or alas and did my Savior bleed, or oh God, our help in ages past. One of the things that I learned as I began looking more into the history of this song kind of caught me by surprise. And it was that joy to the world was never intended by Watts to be a Christmas carol. It's not even a song about Christmas, at least from his perspective. You see, the words to joy to the world were first found in a hymn book that Watts wrote Entitled, and this is a really long name, so stick with me. The Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. Does that sound like a book you'd like to read? Well, he, he took the Psalms and he looked at the Psalms through the, the lens of the New Testament. He focused primarily on the person and work of Jesus Christ as he looked at each of these psalms. And, and in Psalm 98, in his book, he titled it, his poem, Joy to the World. And the song that we sing today is actually a paraphrased version of Psalm 98, looking at it from the perspective 
of Jesus, the perspective of the New Testament. I don't know if you're like me, but I often catch myself singing the first line of joy to the world, joy to the world, the Lord has come. But that's not what he wrote. He wrote joy to the world, the Lord is come. It's not has in past tense. No, it's looking forward to the second coming. Not the first coming of Jesus, rather the second coming of Jesus. A time when the Savior will reign, where he will rule the world with truth and grace. You see, what's longed for the day when nations will prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Now you say, Kelly, why did you bring all this up? This kind of ruined a song for me. I hope it doesn't. I hope it actually gives us greater insight into what's going on here. You see, we celebrate the coming of Jesus, and we remember that, and we draw spiritual strength from that, but we also look forward to this time when Jesus will come again. We have the Advent that we celebrate with those before Jesus waiting for Christ to come. But then we live in this state of Advent, this state of waiting, looking forward to the second coming of Christ when all things will be restored to the way that God wants them to be. And this is the first part of the poem we see. The first part of the poem is looking past at what Jesus did, God becoming flesh. And the second part of the poem is actually looking ahead, proclaiming that Jesus is coming to reign and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the glory of the exalted Lord. You see, every Sunday, I love it that our church celebrates the Lord's Supper. And, in, and when we come together and we break bread and we share this cup together, what we're doing is exactly the same thing. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says that we need to remember but we also need to proclaim. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I love that picture. And so I hope that we sing joy to the world every day of the year because our task as Jesus' followers is to be joy to the world to let the world know of the joy, the hope that we found in Christ Jesus so that it changes us and we begin to live each day with purpose just as our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus did. So we end our series. We end our series with the question, do you have the mind of Christ? Are you living the mind of Christ? Because if you are, it's going to be seen in the way that you live each day, whether you're at school or whether you're at work. It'll, it'll be seen in the way that you interact as a family, 
a family at your home, but also a spiritual family here together as believers who have fallen at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ and worship Him. We would we'll live it out in our marriages. We'll learn to serve each other and to put the needs of each other above our own. You see, Jesus truly is joy to the world. And what better way to end 2021 than to give your life to Him? There may be some of you here today that aren't walking with Jesus. Oh, don't leave today without giving your life to him because the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and you can do that today. I'll be up here at the front. There'll be people in the Welcome Center that would love to talk to you, love to pray with you. But we're going to sing a song to encourage everyone to respond to this text and relive out the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, not just here, but every day that follows. You see, we worship. We worship an humble servant that God highly exalted to the highest place. Let's stand and encourage each other with this song.